0: I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, as we continue to follow our Lord on his way to the cross, Luke 23, we're going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 25. Luke chapter 23. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Then the whole company of them, this would be the Jewish leaders, arose and brought him before Pilate. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other uh, that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Our God, as we come to this uh, holy moment, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit. Uh, we could easily, Lord, in our spiritual blindness and worldliness, just walk by this scene and never really understand what you are doing here, and not, nor understand or care what it means for us. And so, Father, deliver us from that so that we don't have to answer on the last day that we ignored Jesus. I pray that we would see him and love him, see him in his beauty, in his innocence, in his saving work. And uh, Lord, that will be satisfying and sufficient. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is Who Was the Guilty? Who was the guilty? This morning we are continuing uh, this dark descent down into the pit of human depravity. You can maybe just imagine a stairway uh, leading down into a dark dungeon. Uh, We're following Jesus on the way to the cross, but everywhere, every turn, uh, we see evil, the wickedness of men. The demons of hell lurk behind every lying word and every cowardly act as um, man does his Uh, his wicked best to crucify Jesus Christ, the perfectly obedient, perfectly innocent Son of God. He is condemned, he's mocked, he's beaten, scorned, and finally crucified. And the, the, the theme running through our text this morning is the theme of innocence and guilt. Because what we have here is a legal scene, a courtroom scene. Where matters of law and justice, of innocence and guilt, pardon and penalty, all these things uh, are determined here. The Jews have brought accusations. It's the legal term for charges. Legal charges against Jesus. Uh, Charges of treason, rebelling against Roman rule uh, and insurrection. Charges which, if they were true, were uh, punishable by death under Roman law. But, but as we go through the text, we're going to see that Jesus is not the only one on trial. In fact, um, equally so, everyone involved in the story is on trial. It's interesting in John chapter 12, 31, as Jesus prepares uh, to uh, go to the cross, the hour has come, uh, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. That the world, in a sense, is on trial. men and women are on trial in this um, crucifixion story, this narrative that we have here and so we 're going to see as we go through the narrative we 're going to see the, the Jewish leaders and, and Pilate and Herod and Barabbas they're all um, they 're all on the dock in a sense they are all moral agents making moral choices, and one after the other, they prove themselves in their choices to be guilty, irrefutably, undeniably guilty and worthy of judgment. So what we're going to do as we go through the text this morning, we're just going to follow the the, uh, the, the storylines, we're going to follow the the individuals. And we're going to see that this is not a moral fable that sort of creates a caricature of a person, a person who sort of stands for something, but it's not a real flesh and blood uh, complex person, it's, it's a black and white figure, you know, stick figure. That's not what we have here. These are, these are people just as real as, as you and I. Uh, these are events of history, and they are just as relentlessly true then as if it was happening right in front of us here this morning, as, as if we were eyewitnesses at the very um, time and place itself. And what we'd find there is that, is that these people all are men of flesh and bone like us. They, they all have their own unique faces and names and history and own, their own personalities and their own motives. And if you could interview them this morning, if, if we could have them come and, we, and if we could interview them, we would find um, that they all have a different story of how they came to this day and why they did what they did when they met Jesus. There are a lot of different sorts of people here. you got the Jewish religious leaders, and then you got Jewish, uh, uh, you know, religious affiliated people, and then just some common uh, Jewish folks, part of the crowd. Uh, you have Roman rulers, kings and governors. You have common soldiers, and the vast majority of them did not wake up that morning thinking that this would be the day they would face the Son of God and make decisions that, that brought them to eternal judgment. They didn't, they didn't think that this would be the day they made decisions that were, they will eternally regret if they did not repent. But you see, the simple um, historical fact recorded in God's divine book is that each of these people, no matter what their unique makeup or motive, they, they all appeared in some way before Jesus Christ, and they all made an eternally fatal choice. When you ask them the ultimate question, what have you done with the Christ, They will each have to say, we crucified him. We crucified him. Who was the guilty? Well, we are brought first to the Jewish leaders. Uh, Jesus has... been arrested by, uh, by the Jewish religious leaders, they've had uh, three trials, two sort of pre-trials, all of them mock trials because they're not, they're not looking for justice, they're just looking for reasons uh, to condemn him. Uh, he's appeared before Annas, and then before Caiaphas, and then before the whole council, and they have determined that he's guilty of blasphemy, making himself equal with God. Well, um, the incredible irony, of course, is that everything he's been doing and saying has been proving that he's, he's not blaspheming. He's equal with God. He's the son of God. That's what he's claiming. Very very clearly. When he forgives sins. When he says before Abraham was, I am. When he says I and the father are one. And then all the miracles and, and even the blind people, right? When they receive their sight, uh, they, they say no one, no mere man can do this. Nobody can do this unless he is of God and uh in John chapter nine the blind the blind man worships Jesus the blind man got it well they they've charged him with blasphemy but they can't bring that charge to to upon him, to, to Pilate because the Romans could care less about blasphemy it it doesn't really matter to them it's a, it's a Jewish religious thing. So they got to find something that's going to stick, and uh, and so they, they make up these these charges. They, they accuse Jesus of misleading the nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now, these are legal charges that are being brought to Pontius Pilate in, the, in a courtroom. This isn't just them saying bad things about Jesus. These are charges filed against him, charges that have to be adjudicated. And the whole thing is a demonic charade. This man misleading our nation? These are the Jewish leaders. If anyone's misleading the Jewish nation, it it is these men, the Sanhedrin, uh, don't even believe there's a resurrection. But they, 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 they lie to Pilate. They say, we found, in, term, in other words, that's a legal term again, saying, um, we had a trial and we, pre- we uh, had evidence that was presented, and uh, we have found legally that, that these things are true. But it, it's completely, it's a complete lie. Uh, the first charge is, is laughable, at such a lie. Just a week prior, they had tried to trap Jesus. Remember when they, when they asked him, uh, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And um, boys and girls, do, do you remember how Jesus answered? He said, give me a coin. And so they, they gave him a coin and, and he said to them, uh, whose image is on here? And they said, well, that would be uh, that'd be Caesar. Jesus said, that's correct, so why don't you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God, and, and we'll be fine. And the men walked away completely dumbfounded at the brilliance of Jesus' answer, and, and now they're coming and saying, this man forbids us to pay taxes to Caesar. It's just a blatant lie, and they know it's a lie, but it's a useful lie. This will get uh, Pilate's attention. Uh, The second charge, that uh, he says that he's Christ, a king, they're casting Jesus' messianic claims in purely political terms, as though Jesus were trying to start a Roman revolt, and uh, it's exactly, of course, what the crowds wanted Jesus to do, get rid of the Romans, and it's exactly what Jesus resolutely refused to do. It's not why I came. And yet, that's the charge. So, here are the the righteous leaders of Israel, right? These are the religious leaders walking into a court of justice and knowingly lying because they hate Jesus and they're committed to killing him. These are God's people. Right? He came to his own, and his own received him not. These these are uh, it's God's people. Through the narrative, you might notice they are the ones who are always pressing the charge. It's interesting that there were three trials held by the Jewish authorities, and in all three trials, Jesus is uh, found guilty. There are also three trials held by the Gentiles, by two by Pilate and, and then by Herod, and in every of those instances, Jesus is found innocent. The, the pagans are more honest and have more integrity than God's people. So who are the guilty? The Jewish people are guilty. The Jewish leaders particularly are, are, are found to be full of lies. They condemn themselves with their lies and, and they pronounce their own sentence when, when they cry out, let his blood be on us and on our children. And God in history has answered that request. They're the guilty ones. What about Pontius Pilate? Pontius ends up in the story because just in the providence of God, he was the Gentile ruler, the pagan ruler of this city, Jerusalem. He's just, he's just a political, he's just a politician, but, but he's a shrewd man, and, and he sees right through the lies of the Jewish leaders. He knows exactly what they're trying to do, and after uh, the charges are presented, he has a short examination and uh, conversation with Jesus, and he comes back with his official verdict, I find no guilt in this man. Now, that is, uh, legally, that should have been the end of the matter. We, the charges have been brought, the, examination has, the evidence has been examined, the verdict has been rendered. Jesus is innocent. And justice demands that that's the end of it. You don't get to keep going. There shouldn't be a verse 5. But there is a verse 5. But they were urgent, saying... He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. It's clear that they're not concerned about justice, they're concerned about vengeance. And that puts Pilate in a difficult spot. He knows Jesus is innocent, he knows exactly what these men are trying to do, but the relentless murderous zeal of these men uh, is is a political problem. These are not reasonable people. He knows this from experience. Gildanai says he knows very well what the fanatical Jewish priests and authorities are capable of once they are determined upon a matter. This is going to be trouble, and Caesar hates trouble. And so Pilate is in a difficult position. He knows Christ is innocent, and yet there's a political reality here to be faced. And, uh, but he sees a way out of his dilemma. When he, when he hears that he's from Galilee, he inquires, did you say Galilee? Is he from Galilee? Yes, he's, he was from Galilee. Well, Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, happens to be in Jerusalem for the uh, festivities. Not that he cares of anything about the Passover, but it's good to be seen uh, with the people. And so Herod's in town, and Pilate decides to send him off to Herod. Undoubtedly very pleased with himself that he's been able uh, to hand off this political, political grenade and put it in Herod's lap. Herod, unfortunately... Throws it right back. After finding no fault with Jesus, he sends him back uh, royally robed, and there's a sick verse here that, that Pilate and Herod became friends that day. They, they found something they can agree on in some way, that Jesus is to be mocked. Whether he's guilty or not, he, he's, he's a fool, and, and, and he's, he's, he's worth mockery and demeaning This is the king of the Jews. What a a great joke. Here's two pagans, sort of laughing at the whole Israel nation, but specifically at Jesus. But either way, Jesus is back. Pilate has not been able to get rid of him, and now he has to once again render his verdict. Verse 13, he calls all the people together. You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. After examining him, behold, I did not find this man guilty of your charges. Neither did Herod. For he sent him back to us. So we have two witnesses now. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. That's repeated several times in the text. I will therefore punish and release him. Now notice Pilate's beginning to weaken. He knows Jesus is innocent, and yet purely to try to pacify the zeal of these Jews, he is willing to have Jesus flogged. But it's also clear that Jesus has made an impression on Pilate. Pilate has seen many criminals and common men in his courtroom, and it is obvious to him that Jesus is neither. His own wife has warned him, have nothing to do with that just man. And so Pilate tries to defend Jesus. Verses 20, he addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? Can you just you can just hear this man? There's, there's frustration, there's there's anger. He, he, he's resentful that he's being put in this difficult position. Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Pilate is so close here to doing the right thing. If, if he would have said at this moment, be gone. Roman guards, please escort these people out of the premises and let Jesus go. He's so close, but that's not what he does. Verse 24, so Pilate decided. What an awful, awful word. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. You see, in the end, Pilate decided that his own political position was more important than justice. And so he gave the Jews the permission to take the life of an innocent man. And in so doing, he becomes complicit in their murderous intentions. Rikens says, as we watch Pilate get sucked into this diabolical vortex, we should remember that each one of us is ultimately responsible for what we do with Jesus. Here was a man who did everything he could to get Jesus released, except to actually release him. There are a lot of people who do uh, many things uh, related to Jesus. Uh, except actually confess their sin and trust themselves to him. So Pilate is the guilty. Who's guilty? Pilate's guilty. And Pilate knows he's guilty. He he tries to to protest. Remember, he he, he gets a basin of water, and in their presence, he washes his hands and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. Well, he is not innocent of the man's blood. His conscience knows he's not innocent. You can't undo the crime maybe pilate's not pounding the nails but he he supplied them and more importantly he gave legal cover to this act of of murder from the jews mind so he's just as guilty it doesn't matter how often he washes his hands pilate stood before the most innocent man he'd ever met and consented to his unjust death he's guilty what about Herod Antipas? Herod is, of course, the ruler over Galilee. Most of Jesus' ministry has been carried out in Galilee. Jesus, Herod has heard about Jesus, and we're told in the text, he was very eager to meet Jesus. Uh, he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So, see, Herod is a man who dabbles in religious things. He likes to think of himself as a sort of a religiously interested person, a spiritual person, people would say today, someone who's, who likes to have conversations. Remember when he had John the Baptist arrested because uh, um, John was going about saying that Herod was in sin because Herod has stolen his brother's wife, and uh, so John was put in prison, but, but Herod would, would often have John come and speak to him about religious things. He was interested. He liked to have the conversations. Until, of course, Herodias found a way to have John beheaded at Herod's drunken request, and that was the end of that. But now, now uh, Jesus, and initially we know from other gospel accounts, Herod was nervous about Jesus because his conscience was convicting him. He thought maybe that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. So he's a superstitious man. He's a, he's a, he's a man who senses the guilt of what he's done, and, and yet he just plows forward in his foolish, sinful life. He doesn't ever stop and actually seriously consider what John had been saying. And he never really seriously considers what the Christ has been saying. He's just interested in a sign. He wants, he wants to see something uh, magical. Come and, and, and do a magic trick for me. Make, make something happen, something to humor me, something to entertain me. He's just a wicked, bored man. And maybe exerting, it feels like he can exert some influence. Don't you know that I have have power over you? I have power to free you. All I ask is you to show me um, what you can do. I've heard many things. uh, Amaze me. Can you just imagine this wicked, wicked man asking for a sign? And Jesus refuses to answer him. Herod's sign Is the silence of Christ. He'd already had a sign. John the Baptist was right in his house and spoke to him the things of God, and he refused to believe, and there will be no more signs. There'll be no word at all. The only sign is God turning his face away. It's an awful thing when God um, doesn't speak. It's judgment. Jesus doesn't speak. And so Herod decides to punish Christ Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him and rained him in splendid clothing. They sent him back to Pilate. Who's the guilty? Pilate and Herod. Herod's guilty. Herod stood before the prophet of God and asked for a sign, for nothing more significant than amusement. He had no concern for revelation. He wanted a trick. Many people go to church hoping for a trick. Something to amaze them something to impress them, something maybe to move them, but no intent of bowing and humbling themselves and submitting to divine revelation. Herod stood before the king of kings and mocked his reign. What's Herod going to say on that final awful day when he's asked the question, what have you done with the Christ? He'll have to say, I blasphemed him, I mocked him, I crucified him. And then we have Barabbas, the criminal. Uh, Barabbas never intended to be in this story. He was, he, was just a, he was just a common criminal. Well, maybe not even a common. He's somewhat uh, notorious. But he woke up that Friday morning in a prison cell. He'd already had his trial. He was found guilty, and everybody knew he was guilty, of, of murdering someone and leading a rebellion against Rome. Very possibly had a date set for his execution. And the only reason he shows up is there's this, there's this rule, there's this practice um, of, of the Romans releasing a Jewish prisoner during the Passover festival. And when Pilate suggested that that man be Jesus, the, the people... Uh, protested, no, no, give us Barabbas, they all cried out together, away with this man, Jesus, release to us Barabbas, a man who'd been thrown into prison for an insurrection and for murder. So who's the guilty? Well, Barabbas, everybody knows Barabbas is guilty. It's been been determined in, in the court of law. And Luke mentions his guilt twice so we don't miss it. Everyone knows what he's, he, he's a man who's murdered and a man who's led a revolt against Rome. Everyone knows he's guilty. But Luke wants us to see the incredible contrast between these two men, Jesus and Barabbas. The difference, in a sense, is highlighted by a, a striking similarity uh, Barabbas, that's Bar-Abbas. So Simon Bar-Jonah means Simon, son of Jonah. Uh, Barabbas, uh, there's an early Syrian manuscript that actually has his name as uh, Jesus Bar-Abbas. Either way, Barabbas means Bar, son, Abba, father. Son of the father. And so here we have two sons. The rebellious son, The murderous son, the spirit of Cain lives in him. The prodigal son, who's gone his own way, wasted his life, serving himself. This is the guilty son, the condemned son, the imprisoned son. The execution date has been set. He's in bondage to death, and rightfully so. And then we have Jesus, the precious son of the father. If Barabbas is the true son of fallen Adam, here we have a second Adam. A son who lived his entire life in perfect obedience. Not just keeping the rules, but loving the Lord his God with all of his heart and all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength, all of his life. And when the devil tempted him, and no one was tempted as Jesus was tempted, the full th- power of hell thrown at him. Jesus just responded with the word of God, it is written, it is written, it is written. And when, when in the Garden of Eden he was, he was uh, sweating drops of blood, begging the Father to remove this cup from him, yet, yet he was able to say, in his obedience, not my will, but your will be done. And he had set his face to the cross. So every place Barabbas, the son of the father, fails, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the father, succeeds. And the incredible wicked irony is that the people, the Jews, demand that the murderer, the convicted criminal, the insurrectionist, the guilty man, that he be set free, and Jesus, the beautiful, obedient son of God, the father, the friend of sinners, that he be crucified. And so it was, Pilate decides to grant the request, he released the men who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, and he delivered Jesus over to their will. And so imagine Bar- Barabbas that day, he's set free. He doesn't know what's going on, the door's open and a guard says, Barabbas, you're free to go home. He thought it must have been a joke. How could he be free to go home? He'd murdered someone, he had, he'd been found guilty of an insurrection against Rome. But the guard promised him it's true. Someone has taken your place. And Barabbas went home and told the story to his family. And Jesus went to the cross condemned. So who was the guilty? Well, every single person in the story was guilty. Every single person. Except one. The one they crucified. This is a... It's a convicting text, because we see that uh, in the presence of Jesus, the world is on trial. Jesus meets us this morning in his word, just as certainly as he met all these men that morning. He speaks in his word, and, and that means that you are now an active participant in this drama, whether you like it or not. Phil Reichen uh, tells the story of a, attending a passion play, a Christ on trial. And, uh, and so they're going through the various trials, and, and uh, towards the end the, uh, of our text here, Uh, members of the cast had secretly slipped off from backstage and had had made their way throughout the audience. So when Pilate comes out and says, "Uh, I find no fault with this man, I will punish and release him, suddenly men leapt up from the crowd and began shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And, and Reichen says he was completely caught off guard. It, a, a man right nearby is, is screaming, crucify Jesus. And, and it, Reichen says, it felt like I was being made part of this. For a moment, he writes, I almost forgot that this was a drama. My first instinct was to grab the nearest actor and make him sit down and be quiet. I had no intention of being implicated in this injustice. But he suddenly realized with a shock that he couldn't protest. He needed Jesus to be crucified. He says, I realized that I needed Jesus to do what the crowd demanded or I would be lost forever. God help me. If there is any hope for my sins to be forgiven, it's only through the cross. So I had to join the crowd, not in cruel hatred, but out of desperate necessity. Crucify him, I said in my heart. Yes, crucify him because I'm a sinner who desperately needs a savior. Pilate asked the right question. When he, when he said why? Why? What evil has he done? And the answer of course he's done no evil. So why is he being beaten and mocked and why will he be crucified? The only innocent man in the history of the world. And the guilty are set free. And the answer, of course, from Scripture is that it's because the Lord laid on him the iniquity of men and women and boys and girls. Jesus is there, you see, and because of your sin and my sin. Who was the guilty? Who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason, Jesus, hath undone thee. T'was I, Lord Jesus. I, it was, denied thee. I crucified thee. Who was the guilty? It was you. It was me. For our rebellion, for our treason, for our murder, for our adulteries, our coveting. We were just as complicit as the Jewish religious leaders, just as complicit as Pilate, just as complicit as Herod. But you see, the glory of the gospel is that the guilty can be pardoned, and that's what we see in, in Barabbas. We're Barabbas, the guilty one, the clearly guilty ones. But opposed to, to human, uh, the, the human race, to, opposed to fallen, guilty, condemned sinners, in the bondage of death, we find this beautiful, innocent one. I want you to see Jesus this morning in his precious innocence, in his beautiful innocence. Jesus, in his innocence, took the spit and the fist in the face and the whip on his back and the crown on his head, the mocking, the nails. In his priceless innocence, Jesus accepted the sentence, your sentence, my guilt, my shame. In his innocence, he received my verdict, my penalty, my devastation being forsaken of God. In his innocence, friends, he died your death so that you could live. Diagnetus, an early pastor, wrote a letter to the early church delighting in this. He says, God himself laid on Jesus the burden of our iniquities. He gave his only son for us, the holy one for the transgressors, the blameless one for the wicked, the righteous one for the unrighteous, the immortal one for them that are mortal. For what other thing was capable of covering our sins than his righteousness? By what other one was it possible that we, the wicked and ungodly, could be justified than by the holy son of God? Oh, sweet exchange that the wickedness of many should be hid in a single righteous one and that the righteousness of one should justify many transgressors. Justification is a legal term. You and I are found before the court of divine justice and the only way that we can be declared innocent is because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the innocent condemned for the guilty. But, friend, if you do, if you if you confess your sin and you call on the name of Jesus Christ, you get to be the Barabbas who is set free. You get to go home uh, acquitted of all charges, never to be condemned again. A free gift. You didn't do any of the work. Christ did it all. Friends, one day you're going to stand before the Lord. And the question will come what have you done with the Christ? What have you done? I hope you don't say, well, I, I went to church and I, um, I try to be good, I try to live a good life, because those are just different ways of mocking him, and you never, you never deal with the truth of your sin and what Christ Jesus had to do for you. It's just you, you're, you're, you and your pride, and you will be lost. What have you done with the Christ? Christ? I hope you can say, Lord God, by your grace and power, I believed in him. I trusted in him. I bowed to him as my Lord and Savior. I loved him, and I belong to him. And you're going to give an answer, friends. And now is the time to decide. Pilate made a decision, an awful decision. This is a day of grace where we get to make a different decision over and over and over again. Jesus Christ, I belong to you. Jesus Christ, I receive your death in my place. Jesus Christ, I want to live for you. I want to know you. I want to, I want to experience your love, and I want to love you in return. I want my little short life that I have here to matter for you. And Jesus, one day I want to see you face to face. Make that your prayer. Jesus died so God could say yes. I will give you that. Let's pray. Oh God, you know every heart here. We can fool ourselves and blind ourselves by sin. I thank you that your word exposes us. We are the guilty by nature. It was our treason that undid our Savior. But for all God, thank you that Jesus dies for Barabbas. That Jesus takes the place of those who are condemned in prison to sin and death, and that we are in Christ set free. God in heaven, I pray that you would give us the ability to believe it, to believe it deeply, to love this truth, to love this Jesus, the innocent Son of God who died in our place so we could live forever. Give us the joy and the peace that comes from knowing this Jesus is ours. And we are his. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.